Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Random. Egberto is your host. Thank you so much for our show. We are going to have a great show for you today. We had a great show today at KPFT with or Stephanie Coleman and Bruce Pollard in the house out there. Well, I think Bruce is probably sleeping now after he had an exciting time being a part of the commentary on KPFT 90.1 FM Houston today. Welcome aboard. Oh, he's still here. You just came in, Bruce. I was just talking about you. Anyhow, Bruce Pollard is in the house. Maywood is in the house. AVQ is in the house. Bridge MCP, my wonderful Bridge MCP, who I missed a text yesterday and I felt like, oh my God, I got to get in touch with our, our PDR Posse ruler, actually, or PDR Posse facilitator, PDR Posse boss, whatever you want to call it. Melanie Keelan is in the house. How are you doing, Melanie Keelan? Eric Hayes is in the house. Melanie from Barcelona, Spain. And Paul Fleming Sr. How are you doing, my brother Paul? How are you doing today? Uh, let's see. E2247. Second time I'm seeing you, E2247 as well. And AVQ is in the house. Uh, Yvette Avery Herod, our union specialist. Michael Rodnan says, just a little bit sick with covid Plus, lying down with back pains equal not having a good day. But you know what? We're, we love having you here. You're live. Man, it's good to be here. You know how it was when COVID started. We never knew. But now we know our brother is here with us today. I didn't see Bruce at the show. Yes, he was at the show in the corner right next to Stephanie. And he did a lot of talking as well. All right, let's see what else we got. Plaxavid, exactly. Eric Hayes is in the house. James A. Robicho says, bueno. And you know what is great with Robicho? He did it with the right Spanish intonation, which means he had the exclamation on the left and the exclamation on the right. You're doing your homework, brother Robicho. Alistair Hayes, I want to tell you guys something about Alistair. Alistair saved the day to ensure we'll have a podcast of the KPFT show because Alistair called in and said, hey, dude, you know you're on air, but you're not on internet. To which I said, Alistair, you saved the day. I have the best people in radio. As Bruce and I drove home today, we also talked a little bit, or I drove there and back, we also talked about the PDR Posse, and how wonderful a group it was. In fact, Bruce was out there at KPFT bragging about you guys in the PDR Posse, okay? He was bragging about you guys in the PDR Posse today. So, you know how that goes. All right, let's see. E2247 says, analysis represents breakdown of com communication into constituent elements parts so that the relative hierarchy of ideas is made clear and relationship being ideas expressed or made explicit. Alistair says, working on Facebook. All right, Alistair, you keep doing your work, beautiful. Evaluation is making judgment about the value of material and method for given purposes. Thank you for that wise wisdom. And Michael says, statistica. In 2021, it was estimated that the CEO to work compensation ratio was 398.8 to 1 in the United States. This indicates that on average, CEOs receive 398.8 times more the annual salary of the average American worker and non-supervisory workers in key. It's a shame. It's a shame. All right. Uh, let's see if I have anything else to read here real quickly before I go directly into our interview. Because, you know, yesterday you all took over the show. You guys decided 
Any questions? Critical thinking. Thank you, sir. You guys took over the show. And you know why you guys took over the show? Because it's yours. But anyway, let's go ahead and get into the interview before you guys decide to take over the show. Check it out. Once a journalist with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, an advertising agency founder, and author, William Dub Anderson has managed to craft a best-selling novel that encapsulates the points of view of all races. He's his thought, provoking and candid discussion of a racial divide in an extraordinarily balanced tone allows for others to launch into meaningful dialogue. Civil rights movement, Black Lives Matter, slavery, critical race theory, affirmative action, just mentioning any of those things could spark a debate, a fight, or even a riot in today's sensitive, divided society. Our nation still struggles with how to view or discuss matters of race. Does anyone really listen to a viewpoint other than their own? A new book explores through a creative novel, The Price of Perfect, a way to launch our country into a peaceful and honest dialogue on race and racism. Senor Anderson, how are you doing today? And welcome to Politics and Right. So good to be here with you. Well, look, first of all, I'm going to ask you the question I always ask whenever I interview somebody who's written any book. Why did you write this book? I wrote this book uh, because I'm concerned about our country. As so many people are, as you just indicated, the difficulty that we're having and coming to terms with this age-old, centuries-old issue of race. Um, and as a writer, I, I try to delve into something a little bit further than just the surface part. Now, but King, I want to explore this whole issue. Of why can't we come together more than we do? And we're coming together a little bit better than I think we have. But what is this whole issue of race? Why is it such a difficult thing to do? And it started to me in part with communications, as you indicated earlier, we just don't communicate about this subject. It's one of those hot button subjects. If you, In fact, I was told by an editor, who I let read the first draft, she said, I'm warning you, don't write this book. Don't write about race because people are so upset about it, it could just blow up in your face. And I said, well, if nobody ever writes about it, frankly, how will it ever get truly resolved? So I, and she also said, you're a white guy. You're trying to do a balanced book. How are you going to do a balanced book? And half the book is about the, the pains, the, the travails, the terrible things blacks have been through. You don't know that. You could never know it. I said, well, you could say that about any writer. If they never live the subject they write about, they can never write about it. I, but I said, you know, I'm going to take you up on that. I'm going to research this thing more than I had planned on doing it. So I spent the next couple of years off and on really reading a lot of black literature, talking to a lot of folks I knew, didn't know well of both races, and trying to learn as best I could as someone who could never live that life, never been a minority. I don't know what that feels like, could never know it. But trying to get into, as a writer, get into the shoes of the race and walk it as best I could. So with that, I, I started realizing several things. One is, you said, uh, everybody's truth is truth. That means that truths are lies and lies are truths. 
depending on where you sit. So if you're debating someone or trying to change someone's opinion, the first thing you got to do is know where they're coming from. We don't, if we don't live in proximity to one another, it's like a friend. You can have a best friend that you don't see for a year and all of a sudden you forgot all about them. You've got to, we have to be physically closer to people to hear their story. We have to be compassionate listeners. We've become critics and not critical thinkers. We'd rather just take the, the easy way out is to, to categorize in case I live in Atlanta and turn on the evening news. It's generally a string of young black men who've committed crimes. If that's the only way white people know a black race, then they start to categorize, well, all young black guys are that way. The same is true for bad policemen beating up and killing uh, young black men. You think, oh, well, all the police are that way. Let's defund all of them. It is a human characteristic and, unfortunately, weakness to categorize it just makes it easier. Oh, I don't have to think about that. It's already in a category. The first thing we got to do is realize we're thinking very narrow. We're not really exploring this issue. What's it like? To, what's, where's the other race coming from? To me, to do that, you need to talk. You need to meet people. Ask them the questions. The challenge today is to be frank. I tried to write a book where the main characters are strident in both their beliefs. How do these two knuckleheads come together when they can't agree on anything? That's the price we pay for being perfect, which is where the title came from. Let me tell you something. Okay, first of all, um, I don't I don't buy into the premise that um, we cannot be very empathetic, irrespective of our life values and struggles, because everybody at some time have gone through some negative. Yes, people, I, I can't. If I buy into that, I cannot see through the eyes of my wife. If I buy into that, I cannot see in, uh, through the eyes of my daughter that women have been at a disadvantage so uh, throughout this country. I can see that. I can feel it. I can understand the pain that they feel when they go into a boardroom and just knowing that they're female, that that puts a, 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 a scar, some sort of a stigma on them. I can understand that. So the, the first thing I want to say is I generally don't buy the premise that you can't be empathetic. I don't buy the premise that you can't be a white guy who understand black, uh, black pain. I can say that one can become, uh, what's the word that I want to use? One can become willfully ignorant to black pain. And that's why I admire you for having written the book and taking the pains. I mean, some there are some black folks that are going to come to you and say, well, how the hell do you think you can speak about that? And I would say, well, because um, first of all, I understand pain. And also I have entertained speaking to everybody. So uh, kudos for you on, on writing the book. Um, I want to say one other thing before I ask you the next question, though. Um, earlier, you, you talk about being Southern, right? And I find... First of all, I like the South. I, I live in the South. I live in Texas. All right. I find that it's a fallacy to believe that this great heathenous South and racism are somewhat much different than what we find in the North. After all, in Boston, when we had the riots in Boston, it was, uh, you know, how different was that? I don't remember seeing that in the South, to tell you the truth. Okay. So it's all over the country. It's something that's systemic that we have to take care of. And I'm glad that you, um, 
uh, that, that you decided to write a book of this type. And I also think white guys hold an important key in solving the race problem, given that it is a white guy's problems. Your thoughts on that? I think that because there's a sensitivity that I feel like Southerners have that others may not about the black situation because it's been so much a part of our history and so much a negative part of our history. But you've got to see, I, I, I felt empathetic toward the black cause, but until I really got into this and read books uh, like Between the World and Me, uh, read the book on trying to get rec reconciliation on Be the Bridge. So you read some of these books and really kind of reach out a little bit. As a writer, I had to do that because I was truly trying to represent a race that I'm not. Let me say the first thing, the first part of the first problem we're having with communications is to use the word race. We're all the same dadgum race. Thank this you. whole thing is a construct that was created to show hierarchy. Oh, they're just that race. So that means they're all that way. But they're this they're this race. Blacks are not another race. Whites are not another race. We're all the same race. But unless you're truly and and what and the thing I was not prepared for is the brutality of the three or four hundred years of slavery. You really get into what was done to a lot of black people. It was horrendous. It was terrible. 4,000 hanged over that period of time. My wife tried to get me to go to Montgomery where they said, you're studying this, let's go to that museum where they're honoring all those that, was, that were hanged. I said, I can't do it. I've become so sensitive to this issue. I can't go stand there and look at 4,000 people hanged, probably almost all of them illegally. But it, to be empathetic, we're all empathetic to a degree. But unless you really try to study the pain that somebody's gone through, you're just kind of skimming around on it. So I urge people to do their own research, see, just about white people. But also for the other side of the coin is, uh, we've got a one-way communication now. White people are afraid to really frankly discuss the black issue because they'll be called a racist or insensitive or offensive. So there's got to be, a, if we're going, we got to open both lines of communications uh, so that whites can speak with some degree of frankness. And blacks can say, well, that's something, that's something he'd say. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, but I'll accept it because he's trying to understand me a little bit better. So we've got to be some give and take here, back and forth of both of them. Yeah, we, the whites, instigated this whole mess 400 years ago. But another theme of the book is just how much of the past do we keep reliving? At some point, you've got to honor the past, memorialize the past, but at some point, you just keep leaning on it or you become a victim of the past. And I've had black friends say, don't call me a victim. I resent you saying that. I said, well, you got to be careful because the problem with it is you're never accountable if you're a victim. It's always somebody else's fault. But again, those kind of frank back and forth, understanding, now he may say something I'm not going to like, but I'm not going to jump him because they know he's trying to understand my side of it. And whites will say, well, blacks have never had it better than you got it right now. All the corporations want to hire you. All the schools want you in their schools. Uh, you, you're, ma you're making a lot of progress. So I don't understand. I've heard of so many white people say this. 
Where are all the black people committing crimes? Every time I turn on the news, they're black people. The media is a major component in this whole issue as we try to line up eyeballs and butts in the chair to uh, view our stations. And it's a money thing. It's we're, we're all kind of becoming victimized by businesses trying to make money by playing to the opinion that they know people are going to watch that opinion. And all they're doing is cementing the categorization already got people in you know um, let me tell you something um uh william because this this i think i think you hit an important number when you talk about the media and how the media has actually corrupted the views of many people specifically white people on uh, who black folks really are and um i think it's important for somebody like you to go out there and say that after all you are a, pro, a, a former journalist as well and um you know i had a friend who once got in trouble never been in trouble in his life he got in trouble and when he went to he got a he got a deal where he had he got some sort of probation for something that he did and when he went into the uh to the to the room where all the people on probations were going to set up for that day he was one of the few black folks in there. It was filled with white people all on probation. And yeah. these are the folks that you see doing the same thing that get coverage for black folks on TV. But white folks never see that. What I tell people all of the times is, and by the way, I, I, I love your point of view because that is what I preach on politics done right. And that is let's let's put uh, let's learn that we are all manipulated by a, a system that was created for manipulation in such a manner that we create dissension among people. And that's how, as you mentioned earlier, you're able to maintain an unfair hierarchical system that is not based on a meritocracy, but mostly based on a few. Yeah. Not based on biology that we've all got. Exactly. The same exactly. Where we were born, the geography, the sunshine you got or didn't get, it's just basic evolutionary stuff. It made us look differently because we were conforming to that environment. Right. So it is, it is, it is, it is a very important thought. Now, again, your book is not a real story. It's a story, however, that could be real. Tell us a little bit about it without telling too much so that folks will go out there and get that book. It's about an Atlanta developer of which we've got many who's going to build a building of his dreams in Atlanta uh, the whole city is excited about it. He's a big contributor to black causes and charities, so he's beloved by the black community. A black female television reporter feels like that racism is systemic, and she's looking for a way she can publicize it more. She finds out a black man was hanged on this property. The building is going to be built on. Demands the builder redesigned the building to preserve the tree. He says, I'm not going to do that. This is, I'm not going to have a, a hanging tree in front of my building. She says, well, if you don't, you're a racist. Uh, the book then involves around all the characters. The, the, the tree becomes a metaphor for America and how we're agreeing or disagreeing on this one subject. And, and it forces the reader to take sides. There's about 20 characters. Every character has to react to that tree and what's going on in different ways. It shows how we vary in our varying degrees, whether we, uh, how hostile we are to change or not. In fact, I think you could say that we're all under two categories, the samers and the changers. So they kind of pick sides in this book, and hopefully it's a balanced story 
of where we are today and the consequences of what happens when nobody will move. Everybody's truth is the truth. And no. I don't care about what yours is. Well, I mean, it, it, it is important that we actually, uh, I mean, th th that we actually get to the real truth. And I think when we get there, we're going to realize that we were just being puppeteered by a few and that a lot yeah. of the dissension that we have uh, among ourselves was by the design from the inception of this country. However, what I'd like to ask you, because I understand that you do a whole lot of this kind of work in Atlanta. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I'm blessed to be on the Atlanta Homeless Children's Shelter Board, where we uh, helped create the first curriculum for homeless children, I think, in the country. Uh, also co-founded a scholarship called the Good Samaritan Scholarship for black, basically inner city uh, seniors who have risen out of poverty. I'm trying to show that you can rise out of the worst circumstances you can imagine no daddy, no parents, no money, no nothing. And yet they rise to be splendid performers. Uh, so I've tried to be an encourager. I've been on a number of boards, all directed toward basically the inner city community. Uh, I'm PTA president of basically a minority high school. Um, but I'm basically a writer and I've uh, been creative director for four ad agencies I started. So I've been in the communications business and have a little bit of understanding of how it works. And now it's failing miserably <laughs> today. <laughs> but your kind of show is, the, is one of the answers for coming out of this situation. It really is a blessing to have someone who's really onto this and, and has got a good feel for the issues involved in this thing and the complexity of it. It's incredibly complex issues on the one hand. On the other hand, it's simple as dirt. Just love and respect people. Take them for who they are and don't put them in some category and just kiss them off. Well, that's who they are. I saw them on the evening news where I saw that white guy passing another law that says they're going to run a highway through my community. So all those guys are bad. We're generalizing too blasted much. I had a black friend tell me on the front end that you got to know we're all not alike. White people think all oh, black people think we're like because we like to vote Democrat right now, but we're as different as you are, so don't be generalizing about everything. So it becomes a big communications issue that can be resolved. If people would just open their mind, take the time, read some books, learn about each other, talk to each other, but also get some leadership that will address these issues in a more forthcoming way. Don't just do it to try to get more money for this group or more money for that group. Well, let me let me tell you something. It's been my pleasure, uh, William, to speak to you. It is great to see uh, somebody like yourself uh, out of the journalism field, uh, out of the philanthropic field, and actually not trying to be some white savior, but somebody who brings understanding on the issues and is also very, very frank in wanting to approach it in a manner in which you're doing, including with the book that you've written. Uh, so I want to ask you what I ask everybody that's on my program as the last question. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? I'd like for you to ask me uh, what I'm going to do next with this. Uh, I, so what are you going to do next? It's one thing to talk the talk. 
got to walk the walk. I want to reach out more. In fact, I'm trying it right now to uh, reach out to full people that live in this area, black people, and gain an, an understanding of how how we can join up better. How can we come together better? And a lot of it's going to be through churches. Uh, I'm a big advocate of that's one remaining common denominator both so-called races do have. So I want to I want to not just preach, but I want to go out and do what I've been talking about in this book that needs to be done and not be perfect. We're all very imperfect. William Anderson, author of The Price of Perfect. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you, Egbert, so much. Enjoy being here. We, well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, I, I thought he was a, a pretty nice guy and, and that he really, really, really wanted to make a difference. And he is, in fact, making a difference. And I think he's in your area, Yvette Avery. Yvette, that's a great interview. He's in your, your locale, if I recall correctly. Bridge MCP says, good guy and nice interview. Dub is Power Walker. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Michael Rudnan says, churches are becoming less and less relevant. Younger people have no need of them. That's what I've started to notice. Again, Mike C. Link. Mike C. doesn't understand, you know, Mike C. Look, Mike C., I'm going to give you two, two things to, to, to munch on. Uh, a black family, a white family, okay? If the system has uh, systemically paid that guy who is just as good an engineer as the white family's engineer, just as good. If it also uh, said that he could only buy a house in this particular area, what we call redlining, and if the houses in those redlined areas, because of the stigma attached to being in a redlined area, doesn't appreciate as much as a white family's home, as life goes on, that white family's kids have much more capital because of that home than that black family. Because, and, and that white family is afforded a lot more. They can get more education, more, more things, invest more, etc. than this black, black family whose uh, work capacity is equivalent. When you have a system that dictates the be people's behavior and within that behavior, it is race-based or, or gender-based or whatever-based, and that creates a societal disparity. That is systemic racism. That isn't saying blame it. That, that is not saying uh, telling folks that they're different and because they're different, trying to blame it on somebody. That's not what it is. It, the blame is where it belongs. In America... We were formed on an, on an we were formed on a system that systemically aggrieved everybody or most people that were non-white or female. That's just a statement of fact. You can decide to accept that. If you don't accept that as a statement of fact, the discussion has to be over with you on, on this particular subject because you would be denying reality. You'll be denying truth. Okay? I can, I, you should read my book. You should read my book. Uh, and you know what? I should put that link in there because um, I, here I am, regular guy, studied hard, politicked hard, did all the stuff, and all I navigated, okay? I, I repeat, 
I navigated all of these things that I, many of these things that I just told you about. Yes, I'm successful in getting past it. But why should anybody have to go through what folks like myself go through just to make it the same as you or somebody that isn't working as hard as I am? And that has been my reality. That has been the reality of many. Unlike many, I don't hold the grudge. I go ahead and I keep a smile on. I just move to make things better. So again, take a look at my book, politicsdoneright.com slash tribulations. You should read the actual factual things that one person, myself, gone through, but that is repeated millions of times in this country. Daniela Dosa, LOL, there is zero systemic racism in America. It is a lie. Well, that's the biggest lie thus far. Egberto, in science, you can do all sorts of theories. If a fact destroys your theory, you have to discard your theory. Systemic racism or sexism towards blacks is a fantasy. I suggest you read the events at Greenboro. But again, I don't know that you read that sort of stuff because the people who you follow, they really want to keep you uneducated. So they tell you these things that makes it plausible for you to believe. But again, I just mentioned to you something that is quantifiable. I quantified redlining for you and how it passes down through history. Redlining was a perfect destroyer of capital for black people and people of color. It's quantifiable. You can calculate the numbers and you can calculate the numbers over time, what it has done to black society versus white society. You can also quantify that based on those realities, what happens. But let's be clear about Mike Cizak and Ledo. You really aren't interested in learning in, at this point. Maybe eventually you will. But at this point, you're not interested in learning. You're interested in promoting a false narrative that makes you feel good. But what you do is you help me promote the real story to those who are open to be educated. So in that regards, Ledo and Cizak, muchísimas gracias. Te lo agradezco perfectamente. I really appreciate that perfectly. Mike C., from your link, while U.S.-born blacks have had to battle generations of institutional racism, such as predatory lending that has put them at socioeconomical and psychological disadvantage that some immigrants have not experienced in this country, McCaskill hopes that change economic landscape for black side and the Nielsen finding that income growth rates in black households are surpassing almost all others will help U.S. born blacks and immigrants realize that economic power they are collectively have. I like the way you said that because you know what's important about that statement? That statement is true. Let me give, let me give an example. If you are, if the average white household is worth a hundred and thirty thousand dollars and the average black household is worth ten thousand dollars if the growth rate of if the income growth rate of that black family is ten thousand dollars the wealth growth rate of that family is ten thousand dollars 
That's a hundred percent growth on a tiny amount of money. If the wealthy person, the the the, the average white person that one hundred and thirty thousand dollars grows at just five percent, let's say at at one tenth the speed of the black family, the black family still cannot catch up during their lifetime. Again, it's simple. It's math. It's la matematica. It's math. By making, by putting those statements out to you guys, your people who inform you thinks you're, and I say this with respect, but they think you're stupid. They think you can't think. They think you can't think past, all right? They think you can't think past numbers. So don't get mad at me. Please get mad at the people who think you're stupid and who the reality is you're allowing them to tell the truth about you, that you can't see the numbers, all right? Danielle says, I would venture to say that most racist folks in America are our black brothers and sisters until we address this fact, we will only further divide. Really? Well, you can keep believing that. If you want to, just go to First and Second Baptist Church in Houston and see if that holds true. Eric Hayes says, you borrow is an individual choice, like college and taxpayer funding. Yeah, but if you have a college education, right? If you don't have a college education, they then use the fact that you don't have a college education why you can't move forward in society. If you have to take out debt for a college education, because unlike the, 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 the kids of the person who wasn't redlined and could afford to send you to, to college, they could afford to send your kids to college. You had to borrow. Now you are guilty of having to borrow to get yourself into a position that corporations would want to hire you. That is what makes it systemic. Madre mia. You, you folks, I wonder, CSAC brother, love you, but you, your thinking skills are limited, sir. Really? I mean, really? I, I, again, that you cannot analyze the numbers for what they are. It would actually, here's what it means, uh, CSAC. It would mean that you are either a racist that you cannot see this, or maybe you have deficiency in the way you process information, right? Because the numbers are there. But anyway, I digress. I digress. I digress. Um, Egberto, you constantly talk about your racist views against white cops. No, I constantly talk about my views against cops. And if you really listen to my show, you'll see that I'd say that it doesn't matter if it's a black cop or a white cop. And you didn't hear me get any different with the five white cops that killed that guy as opposed to De uh, Devin who killed that uh, black guy. I am, I am very consistent. Thank you very much, sir. Very consistent. Michael Rodden says, conservatives intentionally fail to understand the topic. They, to them, everything is an individual issue. And that, that is what shows limited thinking, either limited thinking, deficient thinking, or the inability to think. James Robichaux says, man, get the hell out of here. <coughs> what a disgusting uh, taxpayer's nonsense. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Uh, Robichaux also says, do yourself and the rest of the world a favor. Learn what racism is. You know, again, you can only learn if you're open to learn. You can only learn if you're open to change. 
All right, I got another video out here that um, Rodney says, like, Bird, I know you have a lot of videos. I don't have a whole bunch of videos because this week I've been doing a whole lot of uh, cleanup. I'm talking about technical stuff, right? But this one is another good one. Check it out. Well, <clears throat> Sherrod Brown, Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio, nails it. I mean, that derailment in Palestine, Ohio, is a microcosm of corporate America. And remember, under the Tr Trump administration, all kinds of safety regulations were uh, retracted for uh, these railroads, break-in systems, etc. Things that would have probably prevented this type of accident. Also, uh, who knows, maybe the redesign of these containers that carry these dangerous types of chemicals, etc. If there were more regulations, it would be mitigated. I want you to take a look at this, though. There's a good possibility that the folks of Palestine, Ohio, are some of those who bought into, we don't want all that regulations. You know, the, the corporations have put out ads that try to make one believe that regulations are a bad thing and somehow regulations cost corporations too much money and in the process it hurts employment and all that bull. But then you get these derailments. And again, this is one that was really, really bad because it, it, it probably polluted the entire city of Palestine. And we don't know that while they say the water is safe to drink, they don't know what chemicals are there they didn't test for. And burning these chemicals create chemicals that they're not going to be testing for. The fact that people have a smell in the air, the fact that all these, uh, the soot and all of this stuff fell all over in people's homes and people's land and people's fields. It tells you there is something wrong there, something created by corporations. Now, I want you to listen to Sherrod Brown, and then I want to talk a little bit later about some of the things that he mentioned that's very, very important. The governor say that the municipal water and the air, they are both safe, but residents, they are worried about contamination, and some say they've gotten rashes, sore throats, nausea, and headaches, as I just pointed out. Senator Brown, you were just there this week on Thursday. Should the residents of East Palestine accept the assurances from the government, or are they right to be skeptical? Well, they're, they're right to be skeptical. The EPA administrator, when I was there, uh, both the state and the federal EPA um, administrators said that, um, but when you return to your home, we think the water's safe, but when you return to your home, you should be tested again uh, for your water and your soil and your air, not to mention those that have their own wells. So, um, you know, this is, this is, Pamela, this is really the same old story. Uh, corporations do uh, stock buybacks. They do big dividend checks. They lay off workers. Thousands of workers have been laid off from Norfolk Southern. Uh, then they, they, they don't invest in safety rules and safety regulations in this kind of things that happens. That's why people in East Palestine are so upset. They know they've, they know that, that corporate lobbyists have had far too much influence in our government. Uh, and they see this as the result. And this kind of thing shouldn't happen. There was also a Norfolk Southern derailment in Sandusky on Lake Erie in Ohio. There was one just a few days ago in Detroit. 
these things are happening because the, 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 these, the railroads are simply not investing the way they should in car safety and in, in the rail lines themselves. Yeah, I, I was just reading, I believe it was the New York Times, that, that this company, Norfolk Southern, invested more uh, for stockholders to gain more of a profit than in safety improvements recently. The whole idea of you had to flee your home because of something, because a railroad failed to do its job as the executives and their lobbyists get richer and richer and richer. And there's something very wrong with that. And, but when you see the faces of the fire chief and the f- face of Ms. Ferguson, it really strikes you that we've got a lot, a lot to do to fix this, um, to make rail safer, uh, to fight against lobbyists who keep trying to weaken these rules as they did three or four years ago. And that's why I'm angry when I look at these companies lay people off. They never look out for their workers. They never look out for their communities. They look out for stock buybacks and dividends. Um, something's wrong with the, the corporate America and something's wrong with Congress and administrations listening too much to corporate lobbyists. Okay, so and let's that, talk that's about that. Change. I mean, that's a fight I make. Let's talk about that because regulations for okay. rail companies are coming under renewed scrutiny. Now companies are working under Looser restrictions for toxic chemicals. They're using Civil War era breaking technology. Transportation Secretary mm-hmm. Pete Buttigieg suggested this week that his department was constrained by law on some areas of rail regulation. But Democrats just held unified control of government for two years. Does Congress deserve some blame here for failing to regulate? And what more could be done? Well, I, I, I know this, that three or four years ago, uh, the that the, every time there's a there's a new administration, particularly a more conservative one um, that's more pro corporate, they put all these regulations on the table about safety, about worker safety, community safety, the environment, consumer protections, and at the behest of, of lobbyists, far too often they weaken those laws. That happened three, four, five years ago. Um, I've urged President Biden by phone yesterday. I've urged uh, Secretary Buttigieg by phone yesterday to make sure that they look at all these rules and re-strengthen them. Uh, part of it's on Congress. Congress has got to do its job better. Um, but it's it's there. There is there is simply Pam, as you know, Pamela. There's simply too much influence by corporate lobbyists in Washington, and it's it's terrible in Republican administrations. It's not all that great in Democratic administrations sometimes. So that's my job to for to push the administration and to move in Congress on, on more pro-consumer, pro-worker, pro-environment laws and pro-community safety laws to make sure these things don't happen. Now, let's get real. You know, all these corporations say they that if, if we reduce regulations, if we reduce the taxes on these, these folks, somehow, somehow, it's going to benefit the common man, the average person that actually sustained these corporations by buying their products. But that's not what happens. What happens is as soon as they get a break, as soon as they get a tax break, as soon as they get a tax cut, as soon as they get a re- a- a regulations that allow them to operate more, quote, efficiently, not efficiently, but more recklessly is more the, more the point of it. They don't give those savings by reducing the price of their products. Hey, after all, if they did that, guess what a reduction in price would have done to our inflation rate? Oh, the inflation rate would drop. So we don't get the savings from these corporations. Instead, instead, all these tax breaks that these corporations get, all these declines in regulations that these corporations get, all these advances 
that these corporations get didn't cause a drop in price. In fact, they increased their price on the product above and beyond the benefits that they're getting, which is the definition of inflation. So while the corporations are telling you, look at what the, these, the administration is doing, not fighting inflation, it is they who are responsible for inflation. When they got their breaks, they gave, they bought back their stocks to inflate the price of their stock. They increased the amount of dividends or they gave it their, their, these results in the form of dividends, meaning free cash to the people who own the company. So your money going into the hands of a few as you pay more, as you get less regulations, as you get Palestine, Ohio. That is capitalism at its best. That is the definition the most the, the, the allocation the, the efficient allocation of resources for those who own the resources for those who manipulate the resources that's what it's all about so whenever you are there listening and defending and trying to call those who are trying to protect you and everybody else that somehow they are a pinko liberal a pinko communist or whatever Remember these incidents. Remember these incidents are caused by a lack of regulations. These incidents are caused by the, the, in the, the maximization of profits at all costs without thinking about humanity. Now, those people's lives in Palestine, Texas will never be the same again. They've all inhaled the crap. What happens to them down the road? We don't know. But again, it's not the only derailment that occurred in the last couple of weeks. There are several other derailments that occurred in the last couple of weeks with different levels of severity. Some that they claim had no leaks, etc. But we know probably in the groundwater in those areas, there will be issues. So please. Please listen to those of us that are trying to provide the services, the regulations, etc. for us all, for our environment. Because those guys have no passion for you. The CEO went to Palestine, to Palestine Ohio twice, undercover. He was scared that the pitchforks may come out. Well, you know what, folks? It is time for us, our voting pitchforks and start electing people that are going to be there not to allow the wealthy stockholder, the corrupt, thuggish executives that then come with a smile or, or in a meek form that they weren't meek when they were asking for or when they were giving away uh, your, 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 your profits as dividends or rather their profits from, from extorting you as dividends. They weren't, they, they weren't trying to be humane when they forced government by paying them off to give them tax cuts. And now many are going to want government to mitigate the, the actual damage done by this corporation. Because you know what? If it gets too bad and the cost gets too high, they're just going to go bankrupt and open under a different name. Folks, it's time. Nationalize the railroads because we are going to end up cleaning it up anyway. We, we are going to end up cleaning it up 
Anyway, so yeah, it's about time. Anyway, folks, I, I want to address something Daniel Ledo says, and again, it's not to change Daniel Ledo because I think that uh, as a, I think uh, he may, uh, he may be one of those people that I know before who it takes something to snap him into into the, into thinking correctly, but otherwise he's just a regurgitation of bad information, right? So here's one. He says. Why does Egberto only cite racism as the cause of black underperformance? I don't only cite racism as black on uh, of, the, of the cause of black underperformance. I am dealing with the specific portion of black underperformance that is attributed to systemic racism. Because just like I can't solve all the problems in Appalachia where we have uh, a whole bunch of white folks in Appalachia living just like a whole bunch of black folks in the ghetto, just like a whole bunch of uh, Latinos and others in the barrios. There is some. There is a. There is a reason why there is a particular percentage of America that lives like that. Okay, whether it's be in Appalachia, the ghettos, the barrios, etc. I know the socioeconomic reason for that, but that's beyond the scope of what I'm talking about here. So the next part of his argument says. Because to explore other reasons would put the responsibility for black grief on blacks themselves, just like it would put the responsibility for white grief in Appalachia and, and in, in, in Porter, Texas and other places on their backs as well. Yes, uh, but that's the, the issue is I am not discussing things of personal responsibility or individual responsibility. I leave that for Eric to do. I am talking about things that are, in fact, systemic, things that are caused by the way the system functions. Like I said, get my book, uh, uh, The Tribulations of an Afro-Latino-Caribbean Man, because in their, I, I, look, engineer, businessman, all that good stuff. And I can tell you the story. I was driving with Bruce today, and a, 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 an officer pulled up next to the car. Bruce is in the passenger seat. I'm in the driver's seat. And I looked at Bruce and I told, look straight at Bruce and I said, you know what's interesting, Bruce? You just saw that police officer and you waving and, and so forth because you see the police officer as a friend, right? I know I need the police officer if somebody comes to me with a gun, but I don't see the police officer as a friend. I see a police officer as someone I want to stay the hell away from so that there are no accidents based on his prejudices on me, Right? And that goes for any police officer because the police officer itself is a culture and that police officer culture treats people with different levels of gradation. All right. It would require the black community to take responsibility for a jaundiced black culture. Now, that's a racist statement for you to say a jaundiced black culture. I would like you to tell me what within the black culture is jaundiced and I will be able to show you an exact and equal uh, a, a, a congruent version in the white society, in the Asian society, in the Latino society. So everything that you think is deviant within the black society, I can show you a percentage in all other societies that have either that distinct behavior or otherwise. Okay. So when you make that statement, it really makes no sense. I mean, today I was watching uh, the sitting at the counters in Greenboro and saw all those white kids and those white folks throwing coffee and, and, and Cokes and all of that at these people trying to do a good deed. Again, whenever you're pointing your finger, remember there are four of them pointing back at you. You see, I don't believe 
I believe evil is evil wherever it comes from. Those five black police officers were evil. The white police officers that make uh, that that kills black men as sport, they're evil. There's not a racist bone in my body. And the other thing that I need to say is that America does still have a, a huge problem with systemic racism. I have an interview that I that I have that starts at four on the dot. So I have to end the program about a minute early. So what I want to do is go ahead and ask you guys to please, please support the program. Uh, like most of you do right now, please uh, consider going to politicsandright.com slash PayPal to provide support via PayPal. Uh, politicsandright.com slash Patreon to become a patron. And we need a lot of patrons. So please consider signing up as a patron. And of course, politicsandright.com slash PayPal, I mean, a slash support is where you can find all the different ways to support politics done right. I want to thank all of you for showing up to our show today and always love you all. And, I, and when I say all, I mean all. In as much as, as uh, Ledo and CSAC gives me hell, they bring a very important, they bring, uh, they bring a very important point to the show. So I want all you guys to share the love to everybody, all of us in the room. Okay? All of, all of us in the room. Anyhow, my name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.